Now on Netflix, inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman, comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and its select theaters. Rated R. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. February 9th of 2004, 21-year-old UMass student Maura Murray drove from her dorm in Amherst, Massachusetts to the White Mountains of New Hampshire. At approximately 7.27 p.m., Maura spun out her 1996 Saturn on a hairpin turn on Route 112 in North Haverhill. There has never been a credible sighting of Maura since. Maura is 5 foot 7 inches tall. She weighs 120 pounds, and she has brown hair and hazel eyes. If you have any information regarding Maura's disappearance, please submit it to us, the Murray family at Direct at gmail.com, or the New Hampshire State Police Cold Case Unit. This is Missing Maura Murray. Welcome back to Missing Maura Murray. I'm Tim, here today with Lance. How's it going, Lance? It is going very well. How are you today, Tim? I'm doing great. This episode, Lance, is part two of our two-part interview with Laura Rist, thus making it the fifth episode in the series we've done on Trenny Lynn Gibson. That's right. Laura Rist returns to our airwaves. She is so well-researched. We really love having her on. Trenny Lynn Gibson went missing on October 8, 1976 from the Great Smoky Mountains National Park in Tennessee. She was born August 17, 1960, so she was 16 years old when she went missing, 5'3", 115 pounds, and she's been gone just around 43 years. And that's a, to quote uh, Laura, that is a long time to be left not knowing. You can get more info on Laura's uh, website, CanadianGirl77.com, and that's girl spelled G-U-R-L. 
And I want to stress that if you haven't heard any other episode in this series yet, I think it's important to at least go back and start with episode four. Definitely listen to that one. That's got a beefier intro to really this two-part interview, and that kind of lays out a couple of the persons of interest or suspect people in the case in that intro. But also, you could listen to all of them, which I recommend more. And on this date back in 2011, July 2nd, Jared Hanna was 28 years old when he went missing after leaving his home in Jerseyville, Illinois. Jared's 1990 GMC Sierra truck was discovered on July 4th, 2011. The truck was parked on Joliffe Bridge Road, described as an isolated area more than 70 miles from his home near Centralia, Illinois. The truck was found to be out of gas. Jared is 5 foot 6 inches to 5 foot 10 inches, about 200 pounds, with short brown hair, brown eyes, and a goatee. Jared has a scar on the back of his head and on the heel of his right foot. He was wearing a dark-colored T-shirt, jean shorts, white tennis shoes, and a silver necklace with a cross. Jared may have also been wearing a Budweiser baseball cap and carrying his wallet. Anyone with information should contact the Clinton County Sheriff's Office at 618-594-4555. And that is brought to us by Private Investigations for the Missing. Thank you, Michelle. And make sure to follow Private Investigations for the Missing's social pages. There are links in the show notes. And a special thanks to our friend and advocate Jason Watts for bringing Jared's story to our attention. Okay, everybody, please enjoy our interview with Laura Riss about Trenny Lynn Gibson. also mentioned to us about this uh, mysterious phone call that the Knoxville Police Department reported? Yes, um, the Knoxville Police Department got a a strange phone call from uh, somebody. It was a male caller and they told the person at uh, dispatch, I have my notes right here, I'm just looking here. I'll read it exactly here for you. I I love that you're flipping through your notes. Um, because I, I want to make sure that I, I get it get it correct. Here it goes. There was a, a caller to the Knoxville Police Department that claimed that Trenny had been raped and stabbed. And this call was made within a week of the time that Trenny disappeared. So let's say October 15th, 1976. So within a week. The caller said that Trenny's body was to be found at a point where Abrams Creek and the West Prong met. And these are two streams that are in the park, but they're miles apart and they don't intersect at any point. So it was kind of left at that. When Jim and I got together and started working on this, Jim always had the thought that the person that called may have been confused or the person doing dispatch might have been confused. And the caller might have meant trails, or they might have been talking about a trail and a stream, or thought that the stream was actually drainage due to heavy, high water. 
But what we were able to find out was the West Brom Trail starts in the Tremont area, and the Gatlinburg Trail hugs the West Prong into the Little Pigeon River. And the West Prong Trail climbs to over 600 feet and then down to the Little River. And Abrams Trail intersects with the West Prong. So there, there is a connection there, but not if you're talking about two creeks. So there may oh. have been some confusion with the caller, or possibly the person at dispatch just got it confused. Or if the line was, was fuzzy or something like that. So did anybody go to search that area that you know of? I, I know when the call was, was uh, put in, it was taken seriously. And they did go search, but they were searching for streams that interconnected, not yeah. trails or one of each. What were you getting your information from right there? My notes. Your notes, okay. And, the, that, yeah. and those notes were um, taken from the police report? Yes. Huh. So what you're saying is there's a chance that whoever left this Whoever made this phone call either misspoke or it was miscommunicated somehow. And you are it's saying possible. That, it, yeah. it could be a, you know, there's always, there's always the possibility it was a crank call, but of course it, it is possible. It was just, maybe the person was confused or the information was misinterpreted. It, it happens. Okay. But there is a, there is an Abrams trail and a west prong trail that do intersect yes yes they do and would, were those trails anywhere near where the kids were hiking that day no there you have to go more towards the tremont area of the park okay how far away would that be from where she ducked off the uh, trail it's a few miles away a few miles okay all right Tell us about this um, email you received or a message uh, via a, a crime forum that you moderated where a person claimed that Robert Simpson was kind of a diversion. Yes, I, I was told by a, mess, uh, a messenger um, to, the, to the crime forum that all Robert Simpson was was a stall for time. He was just a diversion. Basically, what I get from that was he was, his role in this whole thing was to just keep Trenny occupied for uh, several minutes, may, maybe an hour, to get the per let the person that was responsible for what happened to her possibly get there, get into position, get ready, that sort of thing. Yep. I could see that. Um, what did the person go on and and claim why or who he was diverting for? No, but the the gist I got from was that um, Robert Simpson was in cahoots with Calvin Bowman, and Calvin Bowman was who harmed Trenny. But Robert Simpson's role was to just sort of let Calvin have enough time to either get into the park or get into position or get ready. So he had to kind of stall Trenny for a while and or keep her occupied. So that's why he walked with her. And that's why he stalled her for a bit of time at, at Andrew's Bowl was they had to wait for, for Calvin Bowman. This is the same person that claimed that 
Robert Simpson got his jacket back. Yeah. Recall, Trenny was wearing his coat when she disappeared. Okay, okay. So this, so she was out. So he gave it to her to wear because it was cold that day. She had it on when she went missing. Right. And he was later seen with that coat. No, he wasn't seen with the coat. Uh, as far as I know, Trenny disappeared. She had the coat. That's what she was wearing when they last saw her when she stepped off the trail. So she had the coat at that point. But this person that claimed that Robert Simpson was a stall for time or a diversion, they claimed that Robert got the coat back after whatever happened to Trenny happened to Trenny. Okay, and this person had an email address that you could not uh, reply to? No, I couldn't reply to. It was set up in such a way where they could message me, but they could not receive mail. Okay, but this one had a ring of truth to it to you? Really, they all have a ring of truth. I do my best to run run down them all when somebody gives me information. Is this a possibility? Could this have happened? If if I think it has, okay, now how does this fit into the story? How is it possible? Yeah, I guess you kind of got to use your own um, discretion. And, and the longer you do something, the more clear it is to you when someone is speaking with direct knowledge. Right. How many other how many other posts have you read that have stood out like this to you? Is this a, something that happens on a on a pretty much daily basis, or is it odd? No, not no, not at all. Most of the posts that I receive are from people that are new to Trenny's story, or maybe they've heard about it a time or two, but they had a different opinion. You know, maybe she ran away, maybe she disappeared due to a serial killer in the in the park that kind of thing then when they've heard this podcast or listened to any of the other interviews that i've done that are on youtube uh, or gone to my site and visited the site then they start to realize whoa there's like way more to this than i ever thought there was so i get a lot of of, ma- of mail from people that are congratulating me saying you know great job thanks for sticking with this and thanks for opening my eyes i had no idea gee i hope you solve this that would be that would be terrific i get mail like that i get a few messages from people that plain and simple think i'm crazy (laughs) wonder why i i bother that kind of thing so really you have to weed those out And then I get email from people saying, oh, well, you know, this is what I think may have happened. And I read those two to see, you know, if there's a possibility that that could fit into what what took place that day in in October in 1976. The emails that I get that are threatening, they're fairly few and far between. I maybe get one or two every three months, but no, they don't by any means come on a daily basis. And when you look into these emails, do you try to triangulate the location of them, their their geographic location? I do my best. It depends if they're set up where whether or not they can receive mail. Right. I have ways where I can go and I can try and track down who owns said email address. Some of them I can't. I mean, I'm not a I'm not a private investigator or anything like that. I do have a friend that I went to high school with. She has a license. She's a private investigator, but her main focus, what she does is she's very big into genealogy. Mm -hmm. And what she does is she helps people that were adopted 
find their birth families. That's what her main focus is. She doesn't do things like run down ex-spouses or, or trail people. I mean, she will if she has to, but she prefers to stick with the genealogy aspect of things and help people that are trying to track down lost loves or their birth parents and that sort of uh, thing. And she's very good at helping me if I get stuck or if I'm desperately trying to find something because she has access to software that, that I don't. If you had a couple of um, specific towns that, that you were looking into, you know, maybe there's a, a suspect there that, that's always been on your radar. What are, what are some of the towns? I'm just curious. And if you don't want to answer that, that's fine. I'm just curious. Well, no, uh, Powell is a section of Knoxville. That is, that is one. And another one is Strawberry Plains. Strawberry Plains and Powell. Okay. And uh, you emailed with some more information about what Hope Gibson had to say about Robert Simpson when he came to their house. So he kept answering their phone. Right. And like I said, and like that old Carly Simon song, you know, the line in it, he's where you're where you should be all the time. Well, Robert Simpson is the personification of that because Anytime there was ever a question or somebody needed an ex- explanation for something, he's like right there, like the great gazoo to tell him, oh, hey, Trenny took her jewelry off in the washroom when she was washing her hands and she gave it to so-and-so. Or, hey, I went tracking a bear. That's where I was when Trenny stepped off the trail and off into oblivion. And then when the Gibsons were in Gatlinburg, because that's where they were staying during the search for Trenny. Robert Simpson kept going over to their house in Knoxville, and he was literally screening their phone calls until they asked him to stop. I'm I'm not sure who does that. Robert Simpson was a good friend of Trenny's older brother, Bob Gibson, so obviously he'd been at the house plenty of times before, but I, I really don't know who would take it upon themselves to do something like that. To me, that's a private thing, and it should have been handled by a member of the family, not somebody's uh, best buddy. I'm not sure if Robert was there screening calls because he wanted to know who was calling, what they wanted. I don't know what kind of explanation he gave these people, what, what he said to them and let alone who called. I imagine there were calls from the press, that sort of of thing, so on and so forth. Probably friends and and extended family calling to see what was going on, if they found Trenny or found anything at all, or just phone to say, hey, you know, I I got you guys' back. Is there anything I can do? That part I don't know. The only one that would know that would be Robert Simpson. I apologize if I missed this earlier, in our previous conversations, was there any known friendship between Kelvin Bowman and Robert Simpson? Oh, they knew each other quite well, yes. Hmm. Had they ever been in trouble together? In trouble together, not that I know of. Kelvin Bowman was in trouble a fair bit at school. He was well known to the principal, and he spent a fair bit of time inside the principal's inner office. Calvin Bowman was a bright kid, and he was on a good path. He was an excellent ball player, and if he had pursued that, he may have gotten a scholarship to college or what have you. 
But in high school, he fell in with a bad crowd. They were older kids, and they were bad news, and they were partiers and into this and that that they shouldn't have been in, and they were a very bad influence on him. And Calvin's nickname was Kagan or Keg. He liked his beer. And do you have the information, or have you spoken to members of that group that Kelvin was uh, was kind of circling around with? Yes, I have spoken to a few members of the group. And Calvin basically just went the, the wrong way. If he kept his nose in, the, in, it, in books or pursued ball, he probably would have turned out a lot, lot better than he had. But he just fell in with the wrong crowd, and then it was, it was downhill from there. The people that I spoke to, I asked if Calvin was into drugs, and they said no, he never dealt drugs or anything like that. He was from a poor family. They had a lot of, uh, his, his folks had a lot of kids. And while they were loving, they were, they were poor. But Calvin didn't have the money that it would take to get involved with buying and selling drugs. But if you wanted something, if you went to Calvin and say, hey, man, could you hook me up? He definitely would do that for you for a price. But really all he was interested in was just beer money. But he wasn't he wasn't dealing as far as I could tell. And to reiterate something that you brought up on the previous episodes, he does have a alibi for that day. The principal does claim that he was at was at, at least in, in home room, right? At least in home in home room. But like I mentioned before, if you have the principal of the school in the 1970s, doesn't matter in what state or province you were in, say, hey. He was in school that day. That's like getting a pardon from the governor because uh, you're, you're free and clear then. But in speaking to, to classmates of Trenny's and other Bearden alumni, it's, the consensus was that Bearden was a very loosey-goosey school when it came to attendance. Attendance was very stringently taken if you were in college-level courses, courses that you got college credit for. Because if you missed the, so many classes, basically you got kicked out of the course and you lost all your, all your credit for it. The rest of the classes, not so much. I've had students, former students, mind you, tell me that they would take off at lunchtime and just never bother coming back to Bearden for the afternoon. They'd go hang out at this little uh, electricity substation and smoke pot and talk for the afternoon and they were never missed. As long as they kept their grades up high enough where nobody got suspicious, the school or their parents or so on, you know, if they, they took off, hey, very rarely were there ever any, ever any repercussions or did they even find out about it. Now, there was a little bit more from Hope Gibson, Trenny's mom. Did she say that Simpson once told Bob that Trenny was taken deep into the woods by a Jeep and disposed of? Yes. Yes. Did that make it to police? Oh, they were, they were informed. The authorities were informed that, that that's what they were told. Uh, like I said, uh, Robert Simpson was a good friend of Bob Gibson. They'd been buddies for, for quite a while. And Bob Gibson had entrusted Simpson to look after his sister that day on the field trip. And Trenny felt safe with Simpson. You know, he was her older brother's buddy, and Trenny was nuts about her older brother. They'd been very, very close since she was born. 
best friends, uh, you know, if, if, uh, if a brother and sister could ever be any closer, well, I, I don't know how, how it would have happened. Trenny's disappearance destroyed her older brother. He was absolutely heartbroken what happened. And more so because his best buddy was entrusted with looking after her and, you know, she disappeared. Right. And uh, we know that Simpson was lying, essentially, the bear story, right? I mean, obviously, no one can confirm that was true or a lie, but I think it's kind of common sense that that story makes no sense. It, it doesn't. A better way of explaining it would have been, I had to go to the bathroom. I told Trenny it might take a couple minutes, and she didn't want to wait, so she, she just took off by herself. But he came up with this, he went tracking a bear story instead. Then once he said it, he kind of had to stick with it, right? Because if you keep changing your story, well, you know, how does that look, right? The story about the Jeep and uh, delivering the body deep into the woods, was the location ever determined to be close to that um, location that the uh, police phone call, uh, the person who called the police? Abrams. I've never been told where deep in the woods Trenny was taken. I do have a couple of maps of the old trails in the park. I have a map from 1978 and another one from 1974. And they're mm. National Park Service maps, so they show all the trails, the Jeep trails, and some of them, of course, no longer exist. And I've done my best to pinpoint it, but really she could be anywhere. And I was never given an exact location as to where Robert Simpson said that she was taken. I don't even know if he told Bob Gibson exactly where she was taken. I think it was more of a generic statement where, yeah, she was just taken deep into the woods and, and buried. And in Bob Gibson's position, well, you, you can take it as a, a number of different ways. Why didn't he get angry when he was told that? Why didn't he beat the hell out of Robert Simpson? Well, you know, Bob probably wanted all the information that he could be given. And this person might know more, whatever. I guess I have to let, leave him whole if I want to find out anymore. And secondly, of course, if that were to happen where Bob were to lose his temper and pound Simpson to a pulp, well, everybody's going to know who, who did it, right? Right. And Robert Simpson's father also was a prominent lawyer, and he was district attorney in Knoxville at the time. It seems like with that kind of pull, that kind of political pull, that they could have easily framed it on somebody. I believe he, he did. He did try and, and get the attention away from himself. Robert Simpson did. I think part of that is shown with the statements that, that he made to Tina Gibson, Trenny's sister, when he came over and made statements such as, if Calvin Bowman has Trenny, he'll kill her. And if he doesn't have Trenny, then Trenny must have run off with some horny hitchhiker. So I think right. he was trying to deflect attention away from himself. Because going back to what I said before, Robert Simpson always seems to be where he, right where he should be, ready with an explanation of some sort, whether... You know, it's Trenny's jewelry or her comb because Trenny's comb was found on the dash of his car. He, he always seems to be there. And that's the thing is, is who is he protecting or is he just deflecting things away from from himself? Because he doesn't want the spotlight on him. Are you working with somebody in law enforcement specifically? 
No. Have you found that law enforcement has been pretty forthcoming with information? No. <laughs> no, they sure haven't. I, I've tried to get information, and I finally have been able to get it, but I've, I've had quite a fight on my hands. I wanted information under the Freedom of Information Act from the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation, and I met with a lot of uh, opposition. They wanted me to get a warrant. First, they wanted to know who I was. I told them I've got nothing to hide. Then they wanted um, they wanted to know if I had a, a warrant for for this um, this information that that sort of thing or, or subpoena whatever it's whatever it's called. I'm sorry, I'm not a legal eagle. And I thought, well, this is just under the Freedom of Information Act. You know, I'm not asking for things that I'm not privy to. So I went and I spoke to a lawyer. And I said, is there, you know, anything I can do? Do I have any rights in this situation? I said, I'm just asking for information under the Freedom of Information Act. And I filled out all the paperwork that they wanted me to fill out. I'd submit it to the, to the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation, only to be told that I wasn't allowed to have anything. And I thought, well, this, this seems kind of strange. My lawyer friend battling back and forth we finally were able to get some information through the Freedom of Information Act from the TBI. But I will say I probably gleaned more information out of the Park Service report than I did from the information that I got from the TBI. Long story short, they didn't want to give me Jack. Right. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsor. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Have you made the switch to Nyx? Millions of women have made the switch to the revolutionary period underwear from NYX. That's K-N-I-X. Period panties from NYX are like no other, making them the number one leak-proof underwear brand in North America. They're comfy, stylish, and absorbent, perfect for period protection from your lightest to your heaviest days. They look, feel, and machine wash just like regular underwear, but feature incognito protection that has you covered. You can shop sizes from extra small to 4XL. Choose from all kinds of colors, prints, and different styles, from bikinis to boy shorts, thongs to high-rise. You've got to try NYX. See why millions are ditching disposable, wasteful period products and have switched to NYX. Go to knix.com and get 15% off with promo code TRY15. That's Nix.com promo code TRY15 for 15% off life-changing period underwear. That's K-N-I-X.com. Thanks to our sponsors, and now we're back to the program. What was it about the uh, Park Service uh, report that was more uh, informative than what the TBI had? The Park Service report, I got information about uh, when Trenny was first discovered missing. They gave me all the maps of the search areas, the areas searched. I got information that uh, basically was a breakdown with a time and date 
of what they were doing on the search, what the areas were that were being searched, what the dogs found, so on and so forth. I got a lot of the information where Mr. Gibson was battling with the National Park Service, trying to get the second search going in April of 1977 and their rebuttals for why they couldn't search, why it was a waste of time. If Trenny was in that park, they'd have found her by now, and yada, yada, yada. Way more information, and the park service was excellent to deal with. I didn't have any problems whatsoever. I just told them that I was a cold case investigator. I was looking into Trenny's case. Could I please have any information under the Freedom of Information Act? Gave them my email, and I had it within a month. Well, there you go. That was easy. There are things that, of course, I'm not, I'm not privy to um, under the Freedom of Information Act. Like, I will get a person's name, but I won't get their address or phone number. Not that their address and phone number from 1976 is going to do me any good in 2020. But they take it, that sort of information out. Or yes. anything that would possibly sway the case. Uh, one way or the other, that's taken out. I, I know who gave statements in regards to Tranny, like the students that were on the trip that may have seen her that day or talked to her or hiked with her. I know their names, but I don't get the actual statements. Those are kept by the Park Service. And do you give the police or the law enforcement, have you ever given them information? Yes, I've reached out to them several times, or I've told them, hey, you know, you need to look into this a little further. Trenny's case is still open. Perhaps you need to interview some of the classmates that were on that trip that day, Calvin Bowman, Robert Simpson. I kind of give them a wave every other week and say, hey, you know, are you guys doing anything? Are you looking into this? What Trenny's case really needs is a cold case investigator that, with a fresh pair of eyes to go through this because I firmly believe that her case is solvable. Yeah, it sure seems solvable. I keep coming back to the people responsible are probably in their late teens, mid to late teens. And that like mid to late teens. Yes. Yeah. That, that real, I don't know if it depresses me or terrifies me. Yeah. It's both. It is scary. This was the Bible belt in the 1970s. People don't want to think that this kind of thing could happen. Like I mentioned, it may have been something that just got out of hand. We, we don't know. We don't know exactly what happened that day. If there was a firm plan in place, maybe they just wanted to scare Trenny a little bit. Maybe Bowman thought, oh, you know, I'll shake her up a little bit or whatever. And it just kind of got out of hand. We, we don't know exactly. But things like that did happen in those days. They were no more immune in the South than we were here in Canada. Yeah, I know things like that didn't become the the a topic of uh, uh, movies that were on the Lifetime Network in the 1990s, but they they still took place. And pretending they didn't happen just doesn't do any good, right? Because of course they did. Right. I mean, you're seeing it right now. I mean, this case is going on, you know, forty some odd years. Like, come on. Well, from the 1970s to the 90s, homicide rates for teens that were among the ages of 15 to 19, they more than doubled from 8.1 per 100 in 1970 to 20.3 per 100,000 in 1993. So this has been going on for a long time. 
And in those days where Trenny went to school, bullying, that was just basically a rite of passage. If you were bullied in school, that was just something that you put up with. It was a part of growing up. It just sort of just happened. It was nothing like now where they're stamp out bullying and bullying is wrong and won't be tolerated. In those days, it was kind of people just turned the other cheek. And I do know that Trenny was having problems with, with Calvin Bowman at school. He was heckling her and tormenting her on a daily basis once he'd been released from doing his sentence when he'd been put away after the break-in at her house in 1975. Yeah, Bowman seems like a logical suspect because of the previous incident. Um, but Simpson is also very suspicious because of the specific instances on the trip. Now, can you tell us a little bit about what Hope Gibson said about Trenny's jewelry? This was sort of a, a really interesting clue that Trenny's jewelry was with her on, in the morning and then later uh, some students were seen wearing her jewelry. The part where we're wearing, now that's a gray area. I don't know if it was okay. wearing or had it had it in their possession. And I, I don't want to say wearing if they weren't, weren't wearing it. Because I do my best to stay, to stick with exactly the way that all this went down. What happened was Robert Simpson made a comment that one of the girls in Trenny's, actually they would have been in the sophomore class. So they were a year younger than Trenny. But Trenny had been washing her hands in the bathroom at the park and she took off her ring and slipped off her necklace and she gave it to this other girl in the washroom. And it was to kind of just keep for her kind of thing or, or whatever. Trenny did know this girl. They uh, had attended junior high together previously. So anyway, the jewelry does show up again, but now it's with a different student. Again, it was a student in the sophomore class. This student that had it in her possession, she was on the field trip that day. In fact, a statement had been taken from her, and it's in the National Park Service report. I haven't been able to speak to this girl myself because she passed away in 2003. She was quite young in her early 40s when she died. But she was the one that was known to have the jewelry. She was the girl that this other lady that contacted me, Sue. She went to school with this girl and her mother found out that this girl had Trenny's jewelry and was very, very upset by it. She told Sue this and Sue agreed to call this girl and try to talk to her and talk her into returning said jewelry back to the Gibsons where it, where it belonged. Sue did contact this girl and, and was able to ascertain that, yes, this girl had this jewelry, and she was able to finally talk this girl into returning it, but she never did. This girl would not tell Sue how she came to have the jewelry in her possession, um, if she actually got it from Trenny or if somebody else gave it to her, she would not say she did finally admit, though, to having it and saying that she would give it back, but of course she didn't. How did this person die? I believe it was drug-related. And where was she at the time of her death? Was she around the same area? Yeah, Knoxville. Knoxville area. That's interesting. But she, she died quite young, so I'm not able to. I have reached out to her family, 
saying, you know, hey, like, I'm not trying to blame people. I just want to know they, they won't talk about it. It's so bizarre. That's so peculiar to me. And it's the same thing with Mr. Dunlap. Like, I've reached out to him several times. You know, I told him I am not playing the blame game. That's not what I'm trying to do. I just want some information about what happened that day. If it's easier for you, I'll email it to you and I'll list the questions. And then you can just answer them in point form if you want. You don't even have to talk to me if you don't want to. You don't have to say a word to me. You can just do it that way if it's easier for you. But there's been absolutely no uh, no reply. No, you know, get out of here, leave me alone. I, I could deal with that if you told me that. But there's been absolute silence on his end. And I know you said this before. Um, where is he located again? Johnson City, Tennessee. Is there anything else that um, that we haven't gone into that you'd like to uh, discuss? Well, basically, the Gibsons, Mr. Gibson was blamed for, for doing tranny in. I don't know why, what would motivate somebody to do that, especially a parent. But the backstory is he got he got mad at tr something Trenny did. Trenny did something. He got upset. So basically, he, he had her done in. The other rumor is he had her sent to live somewhere in California. And it, it said that the FBI was actually tailing Mr. Gibson for a while. They had their eye on him. And they actually followed him to California where he made a couple of trips. And then they lost the tail. What was he going to California for? I have no idea. He could have been gone on business for all I know. Mr. Gibson worked for a large industrial chemicals corporation. And he, the head office was based out of New Orleans, which is, of course, on the opposite end of the United States from the state of California. But he had business everywhere. Like He could have gone there for business. He could have gone there for the weekend, for all I know. But that was uh, one of the rumors was that's where he sent Trenny was he sent her away and he sent her to California to live. And the FBI was was somewhat suspicious of this. So they decided to tail him to see what where he was going. And then somehow they lost the tail. So they they followed him successfully from Tennessee to California, but then lost the tail in California. Yeah. Oh, that's weird. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that's kind of what I thought too. Come on. <laughs> but believe you me, I've I've heard everything. Like I said, I've heard everything from the aliens had a um were in cahoots with the class of 1978 and that's how Trenny went missing to Bigfoot to her family did her in. I've I've heard it all. Like nothing surprises me anymore. In, in regards to Trenny's story, but that was one of the one of the rumors. Well, one thing I think it's safe to say: stay away from Bigfoot and UFOs to start, because there's enough suspicious oh. characters that we can stay right in that realm. And the thing with the Gibsons was, and like I had, I'd said in the email, there they were a loving family. They were just a little a little different, but not in a sinister way or anything. Mrs. Gibson, she stayed home, and Mrs. Gibson was very, very religious, uh, Southern Baptist, very devout in the church. She dressed plainly. She kept a nice home, but the home was very plainly furnished, although it was almost opulent from the, from the outside. Trenny liked to help her mother. She liked to help cook. She liked to read. She liked to chase her little brother around. 
she and her older brother Bob were very, very close. And rather, the whole family was very loving, very close-knit. But they were, they were different than other families were. And sometimes if you're different, it doesn't mean it's wrong. You're just different. But you, you don't fit in. So then, you know, people start talking a bit. And then when Trenny vanished, it just kind of exploded from there. You know, people started avoiding them and saying, oh, they always were kind of a little bit strange anyway. So now they stayed away. They didn't know how to act towards the Gibsons in some ways. So they just kind of avoided them because in that way, they wouldn't have to figure out how to act around them. It was just easier just to stay away from them. And Hope was looked at as a holy roller. But hey, you know, Hope's faith is what got her through this. I don't know anyone else that that might have made it. Her her faith is what kept her going. Her faith and the fact that she knew that someday, not in this life, of course, she was going to see Trenny again. And then maybe if it was warranted, she'd have answers to all these questions that have haunted her all these years about what happened. Has there ever been any psychic who's looked into this that you've uh, had a relationship with? There's been lots. I've I've chatted to a few, yes. I'm not big into psychics. I know there are people that, that do have natural ability, and that's great. But there are so many charlatans out there that it's, it's ridiculous. But I've had people offer, like, they wouldn't take any money or anything. They just wanted to know, hey, am I going to pick up anything? I have um, one person that contacted me that's quite popular in Alberta here. She's a clairvoyant. And she was born with the gift. And she said, hey, can I look at Trenny's case? I don't, I don't want any money or anything. I just want to see if, if anything is going to come through or whatever. So she and I got together. I had a comb in my pocket, and I didn't tell her that. And I sat in, in a room with her, and she looked at me. And before she knew anything about Trenny or anything about this case, she asked me, well, what's smoky? And I just kind of smiled and I said, well, you're, you're clairvoyant, you tell me. And then she said, um, you know, you have something in your, in your pocket or whatever. So then I, I, I said, yeah, I said, I, I got something in my pocket. And she said, is it a, a hairbrush or a comb? So then I pulled this comb out and it just, just went from there. Uh, she believes that, that Trenny was harmed and she did know the person that hurt, hurt her. And that Trenny wants very much for this person to, to be caught. Uh, but very, very generic things. Like there was nothing really, really, really specific. She said that something pink holds the answer to this case. Something pink and something that's made out of um, like very old weathered wood. But again, generic things. Um, there was a psychic uh, that looked into Trenny's case fairly early on. I think after she'd only been missing a couple days. He claimed that Trenny could be found near to where she disappeared. And she was sitting in an upright position. And he didn't, he didn't know if she was frozen that way or if she was alive still and just sitting up like that. He couldn't tell in the vision if she was alive or dead. And he said there were a bunch of squirrels running around and there was a bunch of acorns on the ground. 
and Trenny was near to where there was a mouth of a cave or a or maybe like a bear's den, and that's kind of just what he saw. Wow, that's uh, that paints a uh, creepy uh, visual. I had another another person that their their deal is tarot cards. So they asked me, can I can I do tranny or whatever? I said, hey, go ahead, you know. I said, but you know, I said this is gonna be your own your own thing or whatever. I said, I don't really believe in a lot of this, so I said I'm not paying for a reading. But they did trannies, um they read cards and they actually came up with some really interesting things. They emailed it all all to me and, and whatever and it went in a little bit more specifics than the clairvoyant uh the clairvoyant did and they hit on some things that I think could be could be logical like one of the things they said that there were three people that were involved in this case and they all had a beard and actually well several of them did and three of the people close to Trenny at the time all had all had beards and so on and so forth they said that Trenny owed money or somebody owed money and that was kind of why this all happened to her and that Trenny did know who did this, and they also said that drugs was was involved. There was some kind of drug angle. Not that Trenny was taking drugs or doing drugs. I just want to clarify that. But drugs were somehow and and very possibly more indirectly involved in all of this. When a person goes missing, their loved ones often find themselves overcome with worry and grief. Bruce Maitland started the 501c3 nonprofit organization, Private Investigations for the Missing, because he knows this feeling all too well. When Bruce's daughter, Brianna, disappeared in March 2004, he was surrounded by licensed private investigators dedicated to finding her. Now his mission is to provide dedicated private investigators at no cost to other families of the missing, desperate for answers but without the financial means. Private Investigations for the Missing needs your help. To read the mission statement, make a donation, and keep up with our blog, visit us at investigationsforthemissing.org and follow us at PI for the Missing on Twitter and Facebook and Investigations for the Missing on Instagram. Because forever is too long to wait. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai.